0: Good morning. Good morning. My name Ryan. I'm one of the pastors here at City Church, and it's uh, such a joy to be with you this morning and to be able to open up God's Word together with you. Um, as the Granger family led us, we are in uh, looking at Isaiah chapter 35 today. And um, through our Advent season, if you're a guest with us, we celebrate Advent here, and we do that um, because we want to be reminded of what I just shared, that we long for a day when Christ will come, when He will return, and He'll make all things new. And we realize that in days like today that this is still a broken world. There's still progress to be made. And so, we celebrate Advent to just, again, coach our hearts into recognizing that we wait and we long for Jesus to return. We've talked about this season of waiting. And as we've talked over the past few weeks, we've talked about not rushing right into Christmas, not rushing towards all of the celebration side, but really pausing for a moment. And asking ourselves, do we really long for Jesus? Are our hearts compelled to have this desire for Him? Or do we just rush right in and, yeah, let's have another day that we can just celebrate and move on? It's right that we should have that desire. And that should be for the Christian. That's the desire of our heart day by day, week by week, time after time. We are waiting and we are eager for Jesus to come again and take us home. If I were to offer you this morning two modes of transportation, just if you'd imagine, just kind of play a game with me here for a moment. But on this side, there's a car. And the car, it's nothing fancy. It's it's a simple car. In fact, kids, we used to have to roll down the windows like this. That was what was called. Rolling down the window was literally rolling. And so that's this car. It's a simple car, nothing fancy. Um, And over here on this side... In terms of the mode of transportation, it's a scooter. You know, not those fancy ones they got downtown now, now, you know, all over the streets, but the ones that you have to like push the little razor ones that um, you hit a curb and you immediately go flying over the handlebars on. That kind, I've only done that once. Uh, But you have, you know, the car, a vehicle, or you have the razor, the scooter with the little wheels. Now, this car does have one thing that makes it unique. Even though it's kind of simple and old school, it's autonomous. It drives itself. You don't drive it. It takes you where you're going. And beyond that, you can't see where you're going. You just get in the car and trust that it's taking you to your destination. Or you can ride the Razor, and you can have control of the handlebars, and you can see where you're going and the direction that you're going to head. Now if I were to ask you which mode of transportation would you choose, your destination's the same, you're going to get to the same place, most of you, and you heard me say a car, you're going to automatically choose the car because a car is going to get you there faster, it's going to be easier, you don't have to scoot, you don't have to worry about running into that pebble and propelling yourself over the handlebars. But when I told you that you weren't driving the car, that you weren't in control, and nor could you see where you were going, but you just had to trust that the car would deliver you, you probably started having some second thoughts. Most of us would desire, would try and and say, I want to ride the scooter, because I get to drive the scooter. I get to decide where it's going. I get to control the situation. And this, in a sense, defines the problem of our human condition. We would much rather be in control, and we're so convinced that if we are in control, that it'll be everything will be okay. As long as I can see where I'm going, as long as I can make the decisions that I want to make, as long as I have total control over the situation, we'll be okay. We would rather make our way to heaven driving a scooter, Than trust in God to deliver us there safely when he's the only one who can actually deliver us there in the first place. But we'd rather maintain control. Isaiah 34 and 35 are two contrasting chapters in this prophetic book. And all throughout sort of leading up to these two chapters, God has been telling the people of God through Isaiah who they are. He's also been telling them who he is. So he, he's, if you've read, if you wanted to go home and spend some time this week in the first uh, 33 chapters, in various ways, God is describing his, who he is, his nature, his character, his faithfulness, his love, his long-suffering. But also, he's telling us who we are, a fickle people, people who doubt God who question him constantly, and even find ourselves doubting his love. And so then Isaiah comes to 34 and 35, and through these two chapters, he essentially says, now that I've told you who God is, now that I've told you who you are, it's time for you to decide, will you be the people of Isaiah 34, or will you rather be the people that I'll describe in 35? Will you choose your own way to get there under your own control, or will you choose faith in God? Ultimately, it comes down to a simple question, a question that every single soul has to answer once and for all. Will you put faith in yourself, or will your faith rest in God? That's the question that Isaiah has presented and now describes the result. When you hear the word salvation, do you you realize the the importance of that word? The, The weightiness of what is described? Salvation from what, you might ask, when you hear the word? I remember I grew up not hearing that word salvation. So periodically, I I would attend a church or be in some setting where some friends, and then later in life as I got older, even more regularly, talk about salvation. And I would literally ask, like, what do we save from? Is there a a car wreck? Uh, I mean, is there a fire somewhere? I mean, I was literally looking around for danger, inherent danger. Because I didn't understand the context. And sometimes we're thinking, we we find ourselves asking, what are we talking about when, when we think of or we talk about salvation? Salvation ultimately is from ourselves. We don't understand salvation most of the time. We struggle to grasp the weightiness of that because we've convinced ourselves that things really aren't all that bad. Things are going pretty well. My guess is if you're here this morning, if you were in a complete state of crisis, you might not have been able to make your way to gather with us this morning. Some of you might be very near the brink of that, but you've at least been able to make your way into this place to gather with the people of God. But most of us are sitting here thinking to ourselves, things aren't all that bad. I'm alive. My family is okay. I have... At least some degree of healthiness. I'm able to move around. I don't know all of the trials that you may be facing, and again, I don't know the where crisis sits sort of on your horizon right now, but most of us believe, go through our day thinking things really aren't all that bad. And whether or not we know it, we're always trying to find and look for salvation. And because we're always looking for salvation, guess what that leads us to do? We look for salvation. If you're constantly on the hunt for something, you look for it everywhere. Have you ever purchased a vehicle, and you thought, man, I love this car? And then you drive around, and now every time you turn, you see the same color, same vehicle that you just bought, that you just started driving. Before, you never saw that car. But now that you bought it, you see it everywhere. In the same sense, we are looking for salvation. And so, because we are constantly on the hunt, and it's in, it's in our heart, it's not like we're a even aware of our need for this, as we go throughout our day, we're trying to find something to give us peace, something to give us hope, something to bring joy into our lives to save us from what we don't know, but we know we need something else, and we look for it everywhere. And we try and find it, and we even taste it and say, okay, this is, for a moment, this is good. For a moment, this brings me hope. For a moment, this gives me Peace. But true salvation only comes when we acknowledge that salvation can come only from something other than ourselves. We won't find it in here. When we realize that salvation comes only from God, God enters our lives, offers us grace for all of the mistakes, the brokenness, those fickle hearts that I just talked about, when we receive Jesus Christ, the Messiah, as Savior and Lord. So Isaiah has been telling the people of God to trust in this salvation, salvation from God, to believe what God says. But like us, the people of God aren't really taking the importance or the weightiness of the message to heart. And so in 34, he describes the future. It's as if he's looking forward, transported through time to see the future of those people. It describes a a people that have bought into the ways of the world. And by contrast, Isaiah 35 shows us the future for everyone who puts their faith and their hope in Jesus, in the Lord alone. You know, when we think about these two things... It would be wise for us, and we do this in this Advent season where we're thinking about the coming of Christ, but it would be wise for us to say, ask ourselves the question, what am I becoming? Am I becoming more and more like the world because I find salvation and I look for hope and peace in the things of the world, or am I coming, becoming more and more like Christ? Am I becoming like someone who follows after God? Am I becoming like someone that then the world sees me and sees the way that I deal with things, the way that I handle this life? They think to themselves, that person is different. That person has something that I don't have. That's the contrasting picture of Isaiah 34 and 35. Here's what I know. If God had not saved me from myself, I would become someone and be constantly becoming someone who more and more and more put my hope in myself. And Isaiah 34 would describe my state. And we're not going to spend as much time on Isaiah 34, but I'll just encourage you to go read it this, this, this week or this evening, and you'll see it's not a happy state. But because God has saved me, because I have put my faith in that salvation, salvation from Him alone, to Him alone, for Him alone, that gift of grace, now Isaiah 35 describes my future. And this future is a future, like we sang about, filled with joy, joy that overcomes and is not contingent upon the circumstances of life. And see, when we have that kind of joy now, we don't walk around constantly looking for salvation at all the ways of the world and all the things that the world has to offer me, because we have a joy, we have a peace, we have a settledness, we have a salvation that is rested completely in Christ, and that satisfies us. Have you ever shown up to a buffet and you weren't all that hungry? It's a really disappointing circumstance to find yourself in. But that is the way of the Christian life. The world has lots of shiny things to offer. The world is a buffet of offerings. Try this. Taste this. This looks good. And the Christian is able, because of our salvation in Christ, able to walk through this life and say, I understand that that looks tasty to you, but I am completely satisfied. I am full. I have hope and peace and joy in Christ alone. And these things that the world has to offer no longer have the shininess that they once had. They no longer look so appetizing, so appealing. And let me tell you, that is a place of joy. That's a place of settledness. That's a place of peace. That's the place that Jesus came to deliver to us. That's the salvation that he offers us. So let's look more closely at 35 as the Granger family read for us. Isaiah 35. I should flip from Psalm 35 to Isaiah 35. I was like, that didn't look right. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Now, I realize when you hear that or you read that, perhaps that sounds kind of confusing and it's a little bit weird and you're wondering who Carmel and Sharon are. Those are actually places. They're just it's a little different. Lebanon, also a place. And he's saying that there is a place that is going to have joy. And it's what notice what he says there in verse 1. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom. Like the crocus, the desert blossoms. See, when we receive salvation from God alone, not looking to the things of this world, we find that our hope is found in Him. And when He comes into our lives, friends, He comes in the midst of the desert. He comes in the wilderness. And He says that even in those places where there should not be rejoicing, there should not be joy, there should not be hope. There should be just desolation and dry land and nothing that looks beautiful. And yet God, when he comes in and delivers salvation to his people, that's what it looks like. This is why we say so often as Christian people, when we face all of the challenges of this world, we're not saying that we're just going to buckle through it and just kind of put a smile on our face. You know, the fake family photos that are out there right now, and everybody's just real happy. I'm just saying that because I remember that, yelling, gritting through my teeth, you better smile, you better get this picture right. I've taken this picture 37 times. The dog isn't looking at me the right way. Sorry, I digressed a little bit there, but that's what we do. (laughs) We haven't taken our family photo this year. We just grabbed one off Facebook somewhere, I suppose, because we just wanted to have peace. But that's what we do. We go through life, and, and what I'm saying is we're not intended to do that. We're not supposed to just be faking it till we make it, as sometimes we say. No, when we receive salvation from God, the joy, the, the, the singing, the happiness, the peace is in the midst of the desert. It's real. It's not manufactured. There's genuine hope and peace in the desert, because we know who God is. This evening, we are going to gather with anyone, and I just take this as an invitation. We're going to spend some time. Some of us in the midst of the holiday season, we're reminded that there are loved ones that aren't with us any longer. There has been loss this year through miscarriage or divorce or just any other brokenness that exists. And so, we decided to last year that we, we needed to pause and just take some time um, for anyone that is grieving or is hurting in the midst of the holiday season, just to acknowledge that that's a real emotion. That's a, re- that's a reality that we sometimes live in. And so, this evening at 6 o'clock, we're going to gather at First Christian Church, and we're just going to gather and pray for one another and encourage one another again. If that's you, if you find yourself sometimes, like me, feeling like, I know this is supposed to be a happy time, but I'm, I'm missing mom right now. I'm, 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 I'm missing that situation. I, I, this brokenness exists, and it's real, and you just want to want to be encouraged. We're going to gather together to acknowledge that that is real, and we're not going to just fake it. We're not just going to say, no, we're, we're fine. But guess what I have found in my experience personally and in walking with many of you through that? When we have Christ, that joy is real, and it transcends the wilderness and the desert. That's the salvation that God offers us. And so, we can have hope even when we're dealing with really hard things. So, he comes in the desert, and the desert blooms with joy. Verse 3 says, strengthen the weak hands and make the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with a vengeance, with recompense of God. He will come and save you. What is the source of our salvation? It's God. Him coming into our lives. Him stepping in to the messiness and saving us. And periodically, why we're going to gather tonight at 6 o'clock, we need to be reminded of that. Do you ever find that your knees are weak? That you're trying to make it through life? You've received salvation from God, but the blows just keep coming over and over and over again, and you need some help? That's why the church exists, friends. That's why we have a family. That's why we lift one another up. And he encourages us, as we're becoming more like Christ and our salvation is becoming more real to us, what we do is we look to the left and to our right and we say, there's people beside us that are brothers and sisters that need to be lifted up. We need to strengthen those weak hands. We need to make firm, literally hold their knees, give them steady ground. That's what the family of God does, and that's what he's calling us to do, to encourage one another with the hope. And guess what we say? We don't say, ah, it's going to be all right. Don't worry about that. We don't say, oh, God has a plan for everything. Sounds good, and it's true, but no, we say, behold, Jesus is coming. He will, one day, make all things new. This that you're dealing with hurts. This that you're dealing with is because this world is broken. This that you're dealing with is real, and it's something that, yes, we endure, but you are not alone, dear brother or sister. Behold your God. He is with you, and He's given you me to be your reminder, to strengthen your knees to help you to remain steady. And when I say me in that moment, I'm not talking about me, Ryan. I'm not the only one. No, that's for you. You're to say that to your brother or your sister. The hope that you have, the joy that you have, because of the salvation that you've received, you help and you give strength to others. That's what we do as a church. He will come. And yes, he will come with a vengeance. And every enemy of God will be slayed. Every enemy of God will be put down. All of the broken things that exist in this world, delivered into this world by his enemy, will be made right. Things will be made new. Be encouraged by that. And how does he do that? This is what he says in verse 6 and 7. I'll pick up in five, just so we can read through. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. For waters break forth in the wilderness, and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool, and the thirsty ground springs of water. The haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and thistles. I don't know if you've ever been in a desert. I have been in the desert a number of times. I've been in the American desert. I've been in sort of the Middle Eastern desert. I've been in various places in the wilderness where it's dry, where there's literally nothing that looks like anything of life could exist. And it seems to me impossible to think that there could be waters that could spring forth from the ground in those places. In the same way, when I think about the eyes of the blind being opened or the ears of the deaf being unstopped when I think of a lame man leaping like a deer, all of those things sound impossible to me. And in, the truth is, they are impossible things. You might be thinking to yourself in this very moment, I hear about that hope and that peace that you're talking about. I hear about the joy that comes forth in the desert. And like many of us at one point in our life, some of you today are saying that is not possible for me. You don't know the depth of my pain. You don't know the reality of my suffering. You don't know the things that I struggle with. You're unaware. And you're right. I am unaware personally. But God is not unaware. And what God's word says to us is that he can deliver the impossible. He can make those things right. And so that hope that we have to offer you when we try and encourage you and say, God will return. Jesus is coming. As we think about Advent and we think about Jesus in his second coming, not just his birth in the manger, but when he returns again to make all things new, we have hope, we have peace, we have joy because we are looking forward and we believe with everything in our heart that God can do the impossible. And now you're saying to yourself, Well, that's great for you. You believe that, but I don't. Let me tell you why I believe that. Because I was dead, and Jesus made me alive. Because I look around this room, and I see face after face after face of dead men and women who've been made alive through Jesus Christ. He's done the impossible. I look around this room and I see marriages that have been restored and healed. He does the impossible. I've seen, I look around this room and I see people who have been sick, who have been healed, not just by modern medicine, but by the Almighty God Himself. He does the impossible. I look around this room and I see people who have experienced death and loss and suffering that you might not know about them, but I do know about them. And I see them sing to Jesus with their hands in the air, testifying to his goodness. He does the impossible. The testimony of this room, for anyone in this room that is saying, I'm not sure you know what you're talking about, I don't really believe you, you're surrounded by people who sing to Jesus because He's done the very thing that would be impossible in our own lives. That's why we are here. That's why we gather. And that's why we have joy, because He has delivered for us salvation that is real. That's why we long for Him to return because he started something in our hearts that we know he will come back and finish. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He will finish what he started in our lives. It won't end. We have hope because of that. Keep going. And this is what we will become. Verse 8 and 9, And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. This, this passage, this highway that Isaiah is describing for us, it literally is a highway. High, one word, way, two words. It's in the air. Now, not, This is metaphorical, by the way, don't, don't, not physically, but it's a highway. It's a, it's a way that is seen by all. Everyone will see the way of the Lord, and it will be there, and that will be the way of holiness. And do you know what won't touch that way? Do you know what won't interfere with that way? Do you want to know what won't come against the people that are walking on that highway? The unclean, the jackals, those who would come against the people. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come upon it, but the redeemed shall walk there. They will walk and they will walk all the way home. Only the people of God, those who have received that salvation, will be able to walk there. But it's free. The entrance is not guarded with a ticket taker. It's a free gift from God to bring his people and to set apart a holy way, a way for his people to live forever. And that's what we get to do. Verse 10 And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Zion is the place of God. The ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away." He promises us that there is a day coming where we'll walk upon that highway, and no enemy, no hardship no brokenness, nothing other than God will ever come against us. And He invites us to that life, that life of holiness that He gives to us when He delivers the impossible in our lives. And we get to walk to God. We get to make our way home, and as we make our way home, we get to make our way home with joy and singing, because we know the salvation that we have received. The question we have to ask, once again, as we go back to the beginning, will we put our faith in ourselves in an attempt to get to this place that we know God says we can only get there through Him, through Jesus, or will we put our faith in Christ alone? And will we be becoming more and more like him as we think about our salvation and we rest in the joy of our salvation and we trust in the completeness of our salvation? That's who God has called us to be. That's when we have everlasting joy. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you again that your word is true. I thank you that in the desert, we can come. You deliver us into everlasting joy. That means we don't have to make our way into the beautiful places. We don't have to try and create. Something of ourselves, we can trust in you, we can allow you to deliver us. God, I pray specifically in this moment for the souls in this room that are doubting that salvation that you deliver. They're wondering to themselves in this moment is this word really true? And right now, it might seem as if the wrestling of their heart is an impossible task for you to overcome. They're saying to themselves, you don't know my hurt. You don't know what I've done. You don't know the experiences of my life. And they're right, I don't know. But I do know that you know, God. I know that you are intimately aware of every detail of our lives. So I pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would do the impossible. That you would raise the dead in this room to life in you. Would you give them salvation? Holy Spirit, move. You cannot be stopped. What you desire will happen. So I plead with you in Jesus' name to lead them home. I know the sinfulness of my own heart, God, and you did not forsake me, you did not cast me out, but you gave me life, and you've given me joy, and you've given me hope that overcomes the circumstances of this world, and so in love, how could I not desire that for every person in this room? So I pray for your hope and your peace to overwhelm this room. Would you help those of us who have received that salvation from you, Lord, to live lives of holiness that testify to what you have done, that speak about who you are, Help us to be people who walk through the buffet of this world and say, I have tasted and seen that the Lord is good and He is enough. He's it for me. So that we might testify to your salvation, to your goodness, so that we might bring glory to your name. That's what we desire, God. That's it. We want to bring glory to your name. So let today be the day of salvation for anyone who is far off from you this morning, Lord. And let today be the day that we rest completely in the peace of your salvation, the hope that you give to us. And let us join with all the angels, singing joyously, testifying to the work that you have done. And looking forward to the day when you will come home, you will come back, take us home, and complete that work. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the preaching of God's word at City Church Melissa. We meet Sundays at 10.30 a.m. at 2950 Cardinal Drive, and we'd love to meet you this coming week. City Church Melissa, for the glory of God and the good of the city.